Welcome. Welcome back. You're listening to This Week on RTE Radio 1 with Justin McCarthy. It was a day of firsts in Northern Ireland yesterday. The first time in two years that it has a functioning government. The first time that a nationalist and Catholic has been elected as First Minister in the form of Michelle O'Neill. The first time the Executive Office, which is made up of the First and Deputy First Ministers, and two junior ministers, is comprised entirely of women in the form of Michelle O'Neill, Emma Little-Pengeli, Ashling Riley and Pam Cameron. But now, after that day of firsts, the work begins. We'll look at some of the challenges ahead with Professor John Tong shortly. But first, our reporter Sharon Lynch was in Belfast yesterday to sample the views of the people there as a new government took office. Hen Party celebrating an upcoming union at Belfast City Centre. 15 minutes away, a marriage of political parties returning to Stormont after a two-year hiatus. My name is Richard, Richard Garland. I'm a political activist from Belfast. Like, I think it's a tough one to quantify the exact impact of it. Um, Northern Ireland was already having huge issues before this. We had a three-year boycott of Stormont from 2017 to 2020. So it's hard, as I said, it's hard to pinpoint, but I think a lot of people are getting more and more frustrated. We've got these strikes that are going on, you know, having a huge impact. Um, you know, everything from education to health, hospitals, all, all sorts of stuff. And I mean, there, there's people like missing, somebody was saying they were missing, their, their child missed 21 and a half days out of school since March or whatever, 2023. So that's... Obviously, that's huge numbers impacting people. And this is somebody with a disabled child who has a lot of a lot of requirements, a lot of stuff. So stuff going on. People trying to get hospitals, trying to get, uh, you know, waiting lists are the highest that been the highest on record. Uh, Any times highest on record. Ambulance waiting times highest on record. Um, there's 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 a lot going on here, and people need to realise that you know this politicians need to realise that this impacts people. That people get emotional about this. That they get angry. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing for the general population. I, I think, and don't get me wrong, right? Stormont isn't going to cure everything, but we need to make a start. You know, these these issues can't go on forever. We can't keep going round round circles and not doing anything. We need to start, even if we just fix two percent of it. Next year, we'll fix another percent. Whatever it is, we, we've got to do something. Um, we've got, you know, we've got everything going on from. Environmental issues, Loch Ness supplies half our drinking water. We haven't been able to sort that yet. We've got um, electricity, so there's talk of outages and also we're having issues with us here. So there's, there's literally so many issues that are are, are, are big, they're huge issues. Um, for a Northern Ireland perspective, for a unionist perspective, you know, we, we I, I feel like we our, our duty, our responsibility to sell the union. We have to make it work. We have to make Northern Ireland work. And for Northern Ireland to work, the basic needs people face in order to get by day to day need to be prioritised. Colleen McCaffrey, community activist from West Belfast. Yeah, well, I suppose in Belfast and right across the north, we've seen the charade of the DUP and people are just completely and utterly fed up with it. Um, People, you know, are very much worried about the food that they're putting in their fridge and how they're able to wash their clothes with the rising uh, bills and the rising cost of everything, I suppose. And the fact that we haven't had a government is just a joke. And I suppose that's been shown as well by the broad strikes um, that we've seen from workers right across the board, from medical staff, hospital workers, teachers, transport workers. And this is all fighting back. And I think that's ultimately the turning point um, that 
the forced basically the DUP to come back. There's people obviously can't get GP appointments. Um, I mean, there's a family up the street from me. There's three children and two parents. Um, they have to have food from the food bank. Uh, they can't afford just to live, basically. Um, their own necessities, or they can't. Um, they can't afford to buy necessities for themselves and for their children. And this is all uh, an impact of, you know, not having a government to be able to help us in any way. Given the track record, I don't think many of us are very hopeful. Um, you know, it feels like we've had no government more than we have had in recent years. And um, I mean, it should be, it is a, a historic moment with having a Sinn Féin First Minister, but it doesn't feel like one. Um, people are, as I say, people are just fed up. Back in Belfast city centre, people remain cautiously optimistic about this latest version of power sharing. It doesn't take much sometimes for it to go askew, but I'd like to think that it would, that they would have the sense after what we've been through and what people are still going through that they'll, that they'll be sensible about it and look beyond themselves and see what needs to be done. I think people are just thinking, we'll see. Everybody's just thinking lack of confidence, and rightly so. But hopefully they'll be sensible. Literally, she hangs her heads in shame. The state of the economy and the state of everything else, absolutely ridiculous. We'll see until the next crisis. We'll see. She even just like getting medication and stuff for like my sick grandparents and stuff has all became so much more difficult because there's outdated law and just need change. And I'm sure everyone, like all parties would agree on it if they were just sitting, but they're not, so. Thoughts on Michelle O'Neill being First Minister? Um, I mean, she won the election, like rightly so, I think she should be. I don't think there should be any reason why she shouldn't be there. In some small way, I'm happy for Catholics, Nationalists and Republicans here who finally get to see somebody from their side of the community representing them and, and, and taking that side. So, look, you know what it is? I, I remember the days of, of Paisley and McGuinness and there was something about that, something about them working together, positive attitudes, smiles, grins. I'm, I, 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 I want to see back to that. I know, I know it's not perfect. I know I'm going to keep criticising, you know, challenging, because ultimately I don't think their behaviour lives up to what they claim. But ultimately, look, we've got to make this place, place work. I want to see a bit of positivity re return to the place, so that'd be good. So we'll see how it goes. And that was unionist activist Richard Garland ending that report from Sharon Lynch. And we're joined uh, now by John Tong, Professor of Politics at the University of Liverpool. Good afternoon, uh, Professor Tong, and thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, the, the, the voice is there. I suppose there's an air of, uh, in one sense, resignation from a lot of people that they feel that they might be still between crises here, that this was a momentary positive moment, uh, um, be, you know, in the long history of, of uh, the Northern Ireland executive uh, going from crisis to crisis. Yeah, yesterday felt like a, a giant great wedding with some tremendous speeches to accompany it. The hard graft of married life in effect starts on, on Monday because uh, the exec has got an awful lot uh, in its inbox. And it'd be very interesting to see Sinn Féin's role on that because, of course, they've got, the, in many ways, the two toughest jobs, the economy uh, and finance, uh, because the finances aren't great. The, there's a real crisis in terms of Northern Ireland's public services, um, 15 unions on strike in a single day. And whilst there is some extra money provided by the British Secretary of State, Chris Eaton Harris, to settle public sector pay, uh, I think everyone agrees it's not enough. You've got more than one in four people in Northern Ireland on a National Health Service waiting list. 
You've got people waiting months, even with urgent cancer referrals. So, you know, this is a mighty backlog of problems that have not been addressed whilst the Northern Ireland Civil Service has just effectively kept things ticking over in the absence of ministers. So, yes, yesterday was a day to be enjoyed and remarkable and historic in terms of Sinn Féin uh, taking the first ministership based on their mandate almost two years ago. But there's an awful lot of hard graft as the party subsides. There is indeed. Uh, the, the election of Michelle O'Neill as as First Minister, um, a hugely significant moment for, for Sinn Féin, the first nationalist to take that office. Uh, how will that be viewed by, by unionists? Most unionists are accepting of, of Sinn Féin's mandate. I mean, the DUP stepped up to the plate and the DUP gave lie to that hypothesis that said that they would never accept a nationalist-stroke Republican First Minister. The DUP were there uh, all their MLAs, as far as we could see, actually turned up. Uh, and the only dissenting voice amidst the celebrations was that of Jim Allister. But he's a one-man band in terms of the traditional unionist voice. He obviously denounced, uh, you know, his, his speech was, was very much at odds with everyone else's speeches because he argued that Sinn Féin was unchanged, that Michelle O'Neill represented a past which she would not repudiate. Um, and it's true, Michelle O'Neill did not repudiate uh, the past, but she did express sorrow uh, for all the killings that happened on, on all sides uh, during the conflict. Uh, Michelle O'Neill was pitching forward, uh, and that was reciprocated. In many ways, Michelle O'Neill's speech was reciprocated by the Deputy First Minister, Emma Little-Pangeli, who also talked about the future, and she referred to how you know uh, cancer, for example, was not an orange and green issue. So they were both looking to the future, but there were some echoes of a dark past uh, based upon Jim Allister's speech. To, to get to the point where, where we were at yesterday, it required the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, to take a significant political risk, didn't it? I mean, did it surprise you that he was able to manoeuvre his own party into a position where it seemed that really they had no other option other than to go back into power? I think the DUP had no other option. I mean, the DUP ultimately needs Northern Ireland's political institutions to work. You can't make Northern Ireland work if you're busy collapsing its political institutions. So I think that was the choice facing the DUP. They've got to go and make Northern Ireland work. They managed to get, although there's been a certain amount of spin about the deal that Sir Geoffrey Donaldson has got, he has improved things from the original Northern Ireland protocol through the Windsor framework to where we are now. And in effect, he's protected most Great Britain to Northern Ireland trade. Most of it will remain uh, unchecked. So he can give this claim that he's protected the UK internal trading market or Northern Ireland's place within it. So it's it's not a bad deal for the DUP. It's an imperfect deal. It hasn't passed all the DUP seven tests. But I think, you know, whilst there were, were opinion polls showing that the DUP's voter base was content for the party to stay out, that voter base will probably be equally content for the DUP to go back into the institutions. And they'll probably be pretty relieved because they're some of the people who are on these NHS waiting lists. And I think actually it will play pretty well for the DUP. Obviously, the DUP's now got its eye on the next Westminster election. The threat to the DUP is those who take a hard line uh, on mm. this and are prepared to stand against the DUP in constituencies at that election. And how big a threat is that? I mean, do those fault lines in the DUP still remain? Well, the TUV got 66,000 votes at the last Assembly election. And, you know, if they were to peel off a few thousand DUP votes in a number of constituencies, including Geoffrey Donaldson's own constituency in Lagan Valley, places like East Belfast, where the DUP deputy leader, Gavin Robinson, uh, is standing, then, yeah, the DUP could lose a couple of seats because of an intra-unionist contest. 
Quite how that would advance the cause of unionism is unclear, but the TUV may try and take revenge because they feel betrayed by the fact that Jeffrey Donaldson was sharing platforms mm. with them, denouncing the Irish Sea border. But the DUP has moved on. I mean, there was no love loss yesterday. I mean, Paul Gibbon from the DUP described Jim Allister as a dead-end dead end unionist, and um, you know there was quite a lot of personal as well as political animosity flying around the chamber at one point uh, yesterday amidst the, the otherwise celebratory mood. John, thank you very much indeed for that. That's John Tong, Professor of Politics at the University of Liverpool. We're back uh, with more after this break.